The ITUC, the International Trade Union Confederation, is the global union peak body and represents over 200 million workers from 163 countries and territories and has 332 national affiliates. The General Secretary is an elected position and it now gives me great pleasure for this special conversation to welcome the General Secretary, Sharon Burrow, from Belgium, from Brussels. Hello, Sharon. Good, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world. Very late for you, Colin. It's, uh, it's only 2 a.m. here, Sharon. It's, a, it's an early night for me, but uh, yeah. Thanks so much for joining us, and I'm sorry to, to, uh, to run you a little bit late. Let's dive straight into this. This topic um, is dear to your heart. Uh, there's no one better in the world to address it. The global labour market is broken. Why should investors care? We've got trillions of dollars of investors online with us right now from over 40 countries. First point. The COVID-19 crisis has highlighted the vulnerabilities in the global labour force and, as you've said, the fault lines in the global economy. In global supply chains, a staggering 94% of the global workforce is a hidden workforce which facilitates exploitation and oppression. The world is three times richer than it was 20 years ago, yet 70% of the people are denied universal social protection. Sharon, it appears that there needs to be a new social contract between workers, government and business. What does that look like and what will happen if it's not achieved? So, Colin, engagement is key. The real question is, what are we engaging around? Are we on a common base here? Because I won't go into the details in the interest of time, but if the labour market's broken, if there's no security increasingly no formal jobs, no uh, guarantee of minimum wages on which you can live or safe work or responsibility for retirement, then what you have is an economy that's not good for workers, for business, for investors, and, and certainly not for sustainability. We believe investors have a key role to play, and you know we have a stake in this. We have $40 trillion of workers' capital, pension funds, and we want the world to actually be able to say we're on a trajectory to something that has a place for everybody. But it's a moment of truth. You know, whatever the label, stakeholder capitalism, responsible business conduct, inclusive capitalism, there are many more of them. Are business leaders and investors prepared to reform the current economic model? And you can see that conflict right now. I sit on uh, many uh, forums, discussions, the mission um, committee for Danone, moving to stakeholder capitalism. I can tell you the courageous CEOs and, and uh, are actually trying to make this change, but many investors, shareholders, are actually saying yes, as long as it doesn't actually affect my environment, my shareholder return. So we do need a new social contract. For workers, that's easy, Colin. It's five key demands. It's jobs, jobs and jobs, climate-friendly jobs with just transition. It's actually a floor of rights for all workers, whether they're formal, informal, directly employed or otherwise. And, of course, it's about universal social protection because there is no resilience for business or workers as we've seen global supply chains collapse with COVID-19 and a slump in demand. You can see that picture all too well. And we need equality. It's time. Quality of income. We are seven times richer over 30 years in just GDP, but the labour income share has slumped. 
And of course, as I said to you, so many workers live day to day. But we also need equality of gender and race. If we're going to rebuild trust in a, in a globally interdependent economy, build jobs, give security and actually give people hope for our democracies, because that's a whole other area of, of the breakdown in trust, then all areas investment must have a rights and a sustainability lens. ESG is no longer an option. And indeed, neither is saying we'll invest in the green economy here or the brown economy here. We all have to transition to actually give us a chance to stabilise the planet, address inequality and indeed share prosperity. Thanks, Sharon. And this is going to be a very quick TED Talk style 15 minute session with yourself before we lead in, as you know, to a session with two investors, Mike Garland representing the New York City Comptroller's Office and Anna Pott, who's from the APG. Both of those guys have worked together uh, in regards to their very large stake on Amazon. They have, uh, in effect, a $6.5 billion ownership stake in Amazon. So we'll talk through that case study and workers' rights within. Amazon, but the gig economy uh, and 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 tech is a real central issue in all of this as well, right? That was playing out before COVID nineteen. Can you elaborate a little bit on 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 how you view that, and then we'll talk um, about America specifically and the Biden presidency. Absolutely. Well, first of all, good luck on Amazon. We're facing again that stark moment of truth now with a vote for a trade union in Bessemer, Alabama. It's ugly. It's really ugly. On a global monopoly scale, irrespective of the treatment of workers by Amazon, there is, in fact, a real question about whether these global monopolies are sustainable and should be broken up. But if you go to platform business generally, we need to take the ILO centenary declaration and a commitment to a floor of rights and protections for all workers irrespective of the investment, uh, sorry, employment uh, um, uh, arrangements. So platform workers are basically informal. So you need fundamental rights, occupational health and safety, which we want to see as a fundamental right, a minimum living wage, evidence-based, quite a small amount of money, and indeed uh, uh, some control over maximum hours of work, which are exploding with technology they can easily be assessed against a rights and a sustainability lens. So it's not that we don't, we're not worried about the technology. We'll deal with technology everywhere. In fact, today we've looked at the transformation of the auto sector and what it means for jobs and skills and so on. But we know that if you have these, this technology floor that is contributing further to a broken labour market, no one wins. So I guess, um, I don't know how to put this kindly, but you know, it seems to me that we do have some cultural differences in the world and some of those issues have become even more apparent through COVID-19. Um, many US investors uh, and corporations are resistant to the reality of some of the things you're talking about here. Uh, the union movement's footprint in the United States is actually very minimal given the power and size of its economy and its, its workforce. Do you, is, do you share this view and what do you think the new Biden administration means? Does that signal a change? Well, you know, the US is 
an incredible, com incredibly complex society anyway. There are some very strong unionised companies, but there's also an incredibly anti-human rights, anti-labour rights approach from business that comes all the way from the top, I'm sad to say, the American Chamber of Commerce. So you have this American corporate model and a European social model, and they meet head on. So America has to make some choices. It is true that the Biden administration, apart from uh, Biden himself, who has had a commitment for a long time to people, people in his own neighbourhood, people in, in, you know, in his various political roles, and he's a friend of the unions, no doubt about that. You just have to look at his speeches around the PRO Act or other uh, aspects more recently, including the, the support for freedom of association in the context of the Amazon struggle. But he also has an eye to the economy because what he says is we need to transition in terms of climate and the climate threat. We need to do it quickly, but it must create jobs, good jobs. He also says that, in fact, uh, you know, that the middle classes built America. Now, this is a language that not everyone uses, but what he really means is that if you're building middle incomes, if people are going up the... Um, the income ladder, then that's the money they spend in demand, in asset uh, um, ownership, whether it's homes or cars or any other aspect of our economy. And if you don't have that, if people are indeed struggling every day to survive, working two, three, four jobs because they don't have proper minimum wages, then the economy is really in trouble because you can't live just on speculative capital. It's not possible to sustain that. So, what he's trying to do is say there's a human rights dimension, labour rights are part of human rights, and there's an, there's an economic dimension, and he's determined to lead that, to rebuild the American economy, to give people hope and inclusion. Some would say, uh, listening to this call, that the United States has been driving um, the world economy for some decades and where you're living right now in, in Belgium is inside a euro bubble that's letting the rest of the world down in terms of, uh, of growth and economic expansion. Uh, what, how do you respond to that? Well, you have to decide again what's important. You know, we want to build economies because that means we want to build jobs, Colin, but not at any cost because, frankly... It's not only about whether you can sustain economies that don't include people, where everyone benefits. It's also about what happens to our very democracies that make this possible. The G7 discussions going on in, uh, you know, in the context of the next month or so, they actually talk about a group of countries that share values. Now, not entirely, as you know, but what they're talking about is democracy. Less than 50% of people live in democracies now. 45% of our young people actually don't believe that democracy has been good for them. And even within democratically elected countries, you look at the Philippines where, you know, the president actually incites extrajudicial killings. Kill them all, he says, to dissidents, you know. Or in Indonesia where they've voted because of capital demands against an adequate minimum wage, reducing the capacity of people to live... Or in India, I can pick you, or in Myanmar, where no business should be operating right now if we're serious about not putting our future into a hands of, uh, you know, of, of regimes that will never support 
the kind of democratic rights that we see have to underpin any kind of uh, global economy. So you have to make the choice. Okay, so uh, we're down to the last couple of minutes. Uh, we've got this huge pension fund audience listening around the world, uh, sovereigns as well and endowments. Given the enormity of this, uh, our audiences would probably be forgiven of just being overwhelmed and paralysed by this problem. What are the next steps? How do we actually leave? Uh, how, what's your message to them? That, that, how do they be in action? Well, it's actually very simple. Nobody should feel paralysed. You have to do what, in fact, your previous speaker just said. You have to choose what impact you're assessing. Can you actually survive with a business in a world that where climate is destroying the capacity for people, but also for business in many parts of the world? Answer, no. Can you actually live with the fact that you can only make profit by dehumanising exploitation of your workers directly or in supply chains? I hope the answer is no. Can we actually uh, make sure that we are supporting demo democracy? And if all of that doesn't matter, then I can tell you people might want to dismiss the labour movement and civil society, but mandated due diligence is here. It will be mandated in Europe. The UN Treaty is there. The, UN, the OECD is reviewing its guidelines and we hope they'll be binding. Get ahead of the game. Make sure your capital is, in fact, building strong companies, but make sure it's doing good and we're contributing to stable uh, uh, environments, to good jobs, with good wages, with security, and indeed, of course, to shared prosperity. Sharon Burrow, it's always a pleasure talking with you and having you on this program. We're now going to move to the case study on Amazon with a couple of investors. Thank you so much for all of the work you do. Uh, and today's message was very clear, quick and concise. Have a good, have a good evening. Thank you. Bye-bye.